someone that's just come through this journey and realized that much of what I was taught was wrong at, at, at conventional medical school. But now I'm on a path to change that for myself and, and for everyone that watches my videos or reads my, um, reads my books. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Biology of Business and today we have the great pleasure of being joined by Sam Bailey. Hello Sam, thank you very much for joining me. Oh it's such a pleasure Kate, thank you for having me on your show and the opportunity to talk. <laughs> ah. So you've just moved to a, a farm recently and finding that there's frost on the ground and you, you, you can only mulch and prepare the soil for the spring. Totally, yeah. It's been it's been chaotic because I I have um, uh, three boys as well, and the youngest is uh, just about twenty two months. Oh, and you think that oh, this is this is idyllic. This is like a postcard. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> screaming and all the rest of it. So we've been trying to do mulching while our little ones asleep and just playing hot potato with them all the time. And but it's it's lovely. Like I I'm so grateful because again I'm learning. For the first time about soil health about how you improve the quality of your food and and i'm just i'm i'm really learning here so it's 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 exciting times <laughs> now the older ones putting their wellies on and getting a shovel and helping out they are but do you know kate what i've learned is there's no such thing as child labor <laughs> <laughs> that's the biggest con of them all <laughs> But um, no, they are, they're very helpful, but it's always like, there's a time limit on it. They get bored and then they just stop working. They just, they'll just dump their spade and they're like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm like, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can currently negotiate with a chocolate brownie, but I'm not sure that'll last that much longer. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Sam, you were trained as a, conventionally as a medical doctor in New Zealand and then you've gone through this process of unlearning what must be the majority of what you were taught at medical school and as a junior doctor can you just describe a little bit about your background yeah yeah sure well you know Kate I wanted to be a doctor from when I was 10 because I um passionately like I, I developed uh, appendicitis like a perforated appendix when I was 10 and was admitted and you know I thought well they probably did save my life you know they took out the appendix the remaining bits of it and I was in hospital for two weeks and I really looked up to the doctors the surgeons that looked after me and from that point on I knew that that's what I wanted to do and you know I worked really hard to get into medical school you know it was a really stressful time I'm sure many of your audience know about studying for exams and everything else um and then yeah went through medicine and I'm all into it I, I vaccinated I did everything by the book um I was always one wanting to please people I guess like always wanting to get the good marks and to to for patients to like me and to, to do the right thing but I I'll admit that I never I looked and I read things but I never really deeply dug before and everything changed for me with COVID um I was always kind of questioning things but not to the same extent but COVID I think was the really first time for so many of us where you could see things really in front of your eyes that didn't make sense mm -hmm. and my husband Mark who I know has been on your channel mm -hmm. as well um, 
uh, he's always been my canary in the coal mine and he mm. would pick up things before me. Mm. <laughs> he would love it if I heard me saying that, but he would. And he'd say, you know, he was the first one that kind of said to me, do you think that I'm thinking that viruses might not exist? And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? That's mm. crazy. You know? And we kind of 2020 was this journey. Um, and, you know, for us, it really started with SARS-CoV-2. Maybe we'll look into that. The evidence suggests that that doesn't exist. And so thinking, no, I'm not going to get the vaccine. You don't know the long-term effects of it, all that kind of stuff. I wasn't really sure about all vaccines at that point. I just thought maybe just not the COVID-19 vaccine, but everything else is okay. Then I really started to research, look at the foundational papers for all kinds of and Mark and I, Mark mostly, but I did as well, really deeply into that and realized this is a scam. This is like a big, a really big fraud that we've all been taught. And I just assumed, you know, going to medical school, that this is all established, mm. that respiratory viruses pass via droplets. I thought that this was all, you know, <laughs> mm. really established and I had not looked into it before. And then um, came across this book, Virus Mania, which was a huge uh, awakening for me. And I wasn't involved in the book at the time. Um, we got this book kind of mid-2020, read it. And I had a, I have a YouTube channel and I'd make a lot of my videos sort of on the themes of this. And then um, in September, my whole life kind of fell apart um, in a good way, but really quite suddenly. Mm -hmm. And um, in September, we're... Uh, I basically, I made a video and in this video I said that I wouldn't take a coronavirus vaccine if and when it came about and I talked about PCR tests and at the time I was filming for a TV show, uh, like a big uh, network in New Zealand, uh, TVNZ, um, I was in the second season of that and I got a call from their lawyer and they said, you know, take that video down you can't have a video like that out. And um, I said, I'm not going to do it. And they said, well, just cut out the bit on vaccines. Mm -hmm. like, uh -huh, here mm -hmm. we go. And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. And I got fired. I got asked from my uh, employer that I'd had for 12 years to stop coming into work. Um, and I got investigated by the medical council, had all these smear articles on, um, you know, the mainstream news, AFP and fat checking and all this. And this happened within like a really short period of time, like within two weeks, it was just all happened. And I kind of was just going through the motions going, okay, I'm not going to compromise what I do, but I'm not really sure what I'm going to do from here. And that unlearning continued, if you know what I mean, because then um, a few weeks later, the author of Virus Mania, this book that had really, really caused a shift in my thinking, um, the author contacted me and said, do you want to interview um, his other co-author about the book? And he didn't know that I like was totally amazed by this book, mm. that I'd read it or anything. Mm. And we did this interview and it was, he said, do you want to become a co-author? And it was like, this is something from the angels or something. This is something bigger I'm supposed to do. And, and I mm. thought, okay, I'll take this opportunity and go with it. And then that, again carried on this cascade of um like serendipitous type events and um and along the way too Kate which 
kind of it's lovely but it, it almost it made me realize how much I don't know was mm. that I got contacted early on by someone called Val Turner who's I don't know if you've heard of the Perth group which was yeah. this um yeah this group that really looked at HIV and AIDS and the um yeah and exposed a lot of it and I didn't know who he was or anything he would just write this email and friendly chats and I just talked to him and then he started telling me about what had happened and then I I was like oh my gosh this is this whole there's this whole world I know nothing about yeah and then another guy who wrote um dissolving illusions um Roman Bistrianic wrote to me and again we'd been talking to each other quite regularly and then he said oh I wrote this book I said, oh, what's the book called? And he's like, Dissolving Illusions. And I looked it up on Amazon and it had like 2,000 reviews or something. I'm like, what? How do I not know? And they were, they were kind of helping me. They were kind of pointing me in this direction, guiding me, like mentoring me in a way um, with my, and then it made me realize how much, yeah, I, I, I don't know and that I need to look at everything from the beginning and so now it's really expanded into doomed theory as a whole. And I'm not disappointed. I'm, I'm glad, I'm grateful for the allopathic training that I had because I think it, it, um, it allowed me to critique the mainstream, mm. as it were, because I think I have, a lot of people, the public get always criticised, well, you're not a doctor, so you don't know. Yeah. You know, you can't comment on this. I don't get that. I get I'm not a virologist, mm. <laughs> so I can't comment on it. But overall, it's um, it's helped me understand how to critique mainstream allopathy, and and I am I'm kind of not ashamed, but disappointed that I what I've done. You know, my practice. I I wouldn't do I don't know ninety percent of the things that I used to do, but I, that's what I believed in at that time, and. You know, I was ignorant and I don't blame people who haven't kind of really woken up to see the fraud. Um, you know, it's it, these are really intelligent people. And like I, I've been, I'm closed off from all of my colleagues. They won't talk to me. They think I'm a quack, that I'm crazy. Still the same person. I just started looking into the research myself instead of just listening to an expert and thinking, oh, that's that's that must be right. I think it's fascinating what you're describing, like with Roman and also with David Parker and Dawn Lester. I might swap yeah. their surnames around the wrong way there. But there's also a gentleman here, Peter Moore, who was a driving instructor. So people that don't come from a medical background, but have been able to critique the industry with very, very fresh eyes. And uh, I, I think their insights at times are really useful because they've applied their logic, their process of thinking from their previous profession to the system and it's a real pity when that yes they are received with a you're not a doctor how dare you have an opinion yeah yeah exactly well if you are a doctor then you get you're not the right kind of doctor you're not an infectious disease specialist and you don't know about this and as you know anybody have the has the capacity to look into this themselves and that's what we encourage people is please don't trust our word for it we're just giving you a window of this go and look at it see it for yourself because Ultimately, that's what really convinces people when they really see it for the first time and go, oh, my gosh, we've been tricked <laughs> in a big, the biggest way possible. How have you found over the last few years where you described you've been really alienated from your 
professional colleagues or pre prior previous professional colleagues that they haven't even been questioning or cynical about what's gone on because it's so blatant there's some aspect of it I can't and I can't comprehend how you can't figure out that you know from a physio point of view wearing a mask good idea hang on just straight away you have to what's that what's that doing to your breathing so you know to, to your respiratory system so just have no cynicism about it or the fact that we know that socialization is a good thing for people well you've got to alienate yourself from your loved ones I can't and and, and from just from lots of, of the speed at which the vaccine was created it's I, I can't quite comprehend how health and medical professionals haven't got really cynical from some angle or another about what we've been fed and are still pushing the yeah. um, mainstream message. Do you know, if I could put it in one word, I think it's a cult. And, mm. and I mean that, like, it is a cult and you get completely ostracised if you disagree with it. <laughs> like, mm. it's, it's and, and I think there's lots of different reasons going on for why people won't even talk about it, acknowledge it. I think there's cognitive dissonance going on. I think money's going on. People don't want to confront the fact that if they question this, they may lose their job. They know that they're not stupid. Um, I, I didn't, when I was talking about this stuff and I wasn't even going that controversial, I just said, I'm not personally having mm -hmm. the COVID that you do what you want in this video. Um, I didn't think, I had no idea what the consequences of that would be. I'd still do it, like knowing what happened. I'm glad I did it, but it's um, I had I didn't really appreciate how much of a landmine that was that I stepped on. Um, I think for people to just the you are professionally isolated as soon as you don't go along with lots of the cult like rituals, mm. whether it's wearing a mask whether it's encouraging people to get vaccinated. And I mean, I was working as well. Like I continued working so from September 2020. I still worked until middle of 2021. And luckily I had one employer that would continue, you know, to hire me. I hadn't, I'd never had a complaint. Patients loved me. Like I'm not trying to um, talk myself up there, but I had really a, this strong following of patients that wanted to see me. Um, and but in the end, I was pregnant. Um, uh, you know, Mark and I decided to have another child. And I, I thought, I can't. Uh, the, the more I looked into it, the more I thought I feel more distant, more and more distant from it, realizing what it was. It was sort of like pulling back this curtain and going, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't knowingly be part of this. And mm. um, then you know, I, I didn't know again that that was going to happen, but then in, later on in the year, there was the mandates, you know, for all health workers in New Zealand, you couldn't work unless you're vaccinated. And so, yeah, I, I, I can see why people go along with it, but I think it's for lots of different reasons. Like I knew one guy who was a GP on a huge wage. He knew all about it. He knew everything. He, he watched David Icke. He understood everything. But he went along with it because he didn't want a big X on his back. He didn't want to be a target. He wanted the money, his his job. And, and I think when you sell yourself out like that, it doesn't, you can't get away with it. Like mm. at some point in your life, you have to face you. that. Yeah. Yeah. I, in some ways, you know, people say, you're so courageous doing that. It's not me being courageous. It's that I can't live with myself. <laughs> I can't sleep at night. I have kids. I can't not do something I don't want them coming back to me and saying mum why didn't you 
why didn't you do something when you had the chance? Mm. Um, that's what I, that's my selfish reason of speaking out and, and saying, look, I think this is really wrong. Um, but yeah, ultimately I also was disappointed. I could see so many of my colleagues didn't, didn't have that same level of integrity, didn't mm. want to, you know, if you, if you go as a group and try and do this, like some you're the only one speaking out like it's it's immediate <laughs> yeah and that's what I think's frustrated me I know and I was just from a different angle yesterday but I was talking about the ULES cameras I don't where they're putting cameras up everywhere to track and traces in all the cities in the oh, UK yeah. and whatever and um workmen are very able to sit down on their backside and drink tea all day if they just sit down and drink tea all day these cameras that are going to stalk us never go up <laughs> and it's the same with the health professionals it's like if you just don't comply on mass, what are they going to do? Tyrants have always existed, but their crackpot ideas can only become reality if you comply with bringing them into reality because there's fewer of them than there are of us. And so if on mass exactly. we don't comply. I know. And that's what both Mark and I have always done. We're not, we don't actually go to protests or do that sort of, I, I don't like giving, we're, we're anarchists and we don't really like, paying homage to these people as our you know slave leaders (laughs) on the plantation but we at the same time we don't go along with any of it we we actively will never you know do a qr code scan we won't um you know we we never wore masks like the only time i've ever worn a mask was for a thumbnail for a video (laughs) (laughs) my boys never I, i was just refused to um them ever to have it they there was a time when it was compulsory in schools and I just no they're not doing it and I think you've got to and people get encouraged by that they get emboldened when they see other people not going along with it but you you have to lead by example and say I'm not doing this and like you say if everyone decided not to pay attention it would be over in less than a second you know like it would be over yeah yeah so somehow we ended up in this position. If we go back 100, 120 years to prior the Flexner report, what did health look like then? What did the industry look like then? Yeah, well, very much it was a lot of independent health practitioners doing their own thing. And I think it was a much, but also I just like on a side note, like to comment and say, history has been written by the victors, you know. So we, I was this is what I've looked into and what it seems like, but I don't know because I wasn't there. Mm. Uh, but you have to sift through even the history books. Like that's mm. a big area in itself of going, mm. what, what's real, what's not here? I can't, trying to make sense of it. But from what I've read, it, you know, it was a really an organic thing where people were doing, practitioners were doing all sorts of things and working out from kind of the coalface what, what works and what doesn't. I think it was a lot more of, you know, brain theory, terrain treatments rather than allopathic medicine when, you know, the chemical Rockefellers, you know, the industry got on board and, you know, basically destroyed <laughs> what is, you know, they sanctified that this is the right, the allopathic system is the only way. So I think, yeah, it was very, just a totally different way where um, a lot more, a charity was going on too where people could choose you know practitioners could choose how they when they saw a patient did they have a lot of money or did they not and could take other forms of payment or do or just say no this is this is charity I'm going to help you and, and I, I really like that idea of 
that it's not just this one size fits all, you know, like in the NHS is very much like mm. the New Zealand, you know, social system where it's you don't pay for anything. Mm. And I think that is a really it's it's nanny state time where people become dependent on it. And then when they do introduce charges or anything, it becomes a real problem. But um a very different landscape of using um traditional treatments that had probably been passed down you know uh from generations knowing that this works for this particular condition yeah but also you've got the mix of other things happening like within the dissolving illusions time where you've got the industrial revolution you've got new like problems with sanitation lots of other changes going on at the same time so it becomes confusing as to for the first time probably the population was exposed to other toxins that it hadn't mm. really yes. had exposures to as well. So, yeah, just an interesting landscape, really. What was the motivation, Sam, behind the Flexner report? Do you know? Well, it was to cartelize uh, the essentially the, the allopathic model. So at that time, before that, there was a whole lot of, independent practitioners and lots of different types of schools teaching about health. It wasn't just medical schools or physio schools or, you know, osteopaths. It was all sorts. And the whole idea was there were too many and they couldn't control them and they couldn't control the teaching. So introducing the Flexner report was essentially a way of saying this, this is real medicine. Everything else is not. <laughs> and you'll get hurt if you go to those other people. And so then they set up basically their own or they chose the the medical schools that they wanted it, you know, to wanted to flourish. And that became the big pharma model of teaching of surgery and drugs, really. And 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 it's just developed to today. So we always I hate the term alternative health because it implies that it's secondary or worse when it's not. These come from just such amazing backgrounds and it's been kind of relegated to this you know quackery you know not quackery but you know secondary to true medicine which is you know the allopathic model mm. and so financially practitioners that were not following the allopathic model and in accordance with the Rockefeller medicine model were not able to either access the education or information they wanted but were no longer able to to, exactly to yeah viable financially that's right and I actually I did make a video um on this I, I love it it's one of, it's my favorite video actually it's on polio and Rockefeller medicine and uh, about how they all link up and it talks it was written by a guy F. Engdahl William Engdahl who's a, a really um important journalist um who wrote this essay and anyway he historian he uh talks about it in a lot more detail about how basically the financial incentives that were going on to encourage people to only choose well they reduced the numbers massively like they culled so many of these different schools and said they weren't legitimate so that essentially you've got this captured market where you've only got a small number of practitioners and these are the the good ones everything else is not so um yeah, there was a, a lot of financial gains that can be made um, when you do that. I think the um, my background is, is as a physio, and I think the polio story, that was one that really 
when I was reading Dissolving Illusions and peeling back polio, I felt sick. I felt absolutely sick because I thought as a whole profession, we have been facilitators of these psychopaths because the physio profession grew up so much on the back of polio. And it's a toxicology problem. And that was a real um, slam for me. <laughs> I think, though, you were so much of facilitators is in terms of the conditions. Like, I think that's always what's thrown at terrain theory, really, is that almost like you're denying the existence of these conditions. It's nothing to do with that. It's saying these are legitimate. People are sick. People are paralyzed. They have real health problems. I think it's it lies at the center with you know conventional allopathic medicine. That's the issue where they're saying the cause is a virus when it's not. And like you say, chemicals like DDT or lead arsenate. Um, and thankfully, there've been such marvelous people that have documented this that have gone back, like Roman Bistrianic. <laughs> He's amazing. He just he I mean he went to the libraries and got the original data and put it together. And 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 along with him, another guy, Jim West, is really important because he did the same, um, particularly for polio and DDT, showing, and it was basically from his memory that this is Jim West, that he saw it, saw the charts of um, polio, like the incidence of polio, and remembered that's just like the incidence of DDT. Mm. And he put them together that way, just remembering what the charts looked like. And, and you think, wow, if he hadn't done that, you know, that just mm. sometimes these happenstance of, um, and obviously published it and got mm. people took up the ideas like Roman did with um, in, in solving illusions. But I don't think, I think what is lovely about the therapy, so many of the allied health specialties is that it's not about chemicals and drugs you know yeah. it's actually it, it's helpful what what you do and really important and like physical touch this is a this is a therapy you know and that's been lost today in a huge way you know with physiotherapists you know they don't even touch patients anymore I, I, I can't it's, it's it's the nicest part of the consultation <laughs> Um, no, and you're right. And I sometimes find it very frustrating that physios, dietitians, psychs. Well one, well, one example was I realized I knew more about pharmaceuticals than I did about how we fuel our bodies. And again, that was yeah. another hang on a minute. How do I know more about drugs than I know about what we should be eating? But mm -hmm. I find it really sad that yeah, many allied health professionals have unwittingly become more allied to the industry and to the person in front of them and what they initially must have felt to be true about um, contribution to, to health and wellness in terms of physical activity, what we eat or how we think. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, yeah, it, I know, and I can only reflect myself of just how much you're influenced by it. And, 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 and in some ways, you're kind of being part of that cult. <laughs> I know it's a strong words, but I think it's important to use the right terms because that's what it is. <laughs> um, otherwise, you almost give them euphemisms for, for something when it's, yeah, it's much worse than that. So I think you're really trained up from very early on about, like from the beginning of your training, this, this, is, this is what you're expected to do and know about. And, and if you want to be part of this group, this is what you have to do. So we weren't taught about diet either. Like we, we learned about, 
you know, the crib cycle and metabolism and stuff, but you're not taught about when people come in and they say, how do you lose weight? <laughs> I know this sounds crazy, but this is, this is GP. I remember going, oh my gosh, what do I need to say here? Like, what, what's the story? Like, <laughs> like, you're not taught about what's the good advice and what, what, what should I be saying to patients? Because it's all about drugs and surgery and everything else you know it's it's yeah. that's what you're really taught up about and you realize this, this is just propaganda this is just marketing yeah. you speak that you're regurgitating yeah yeah and lost the, yeah. We, the, the skill of critical thinking's lost and also the confidence to put it back into the patient's hands well what do you think you know what's going to work for you because I can tell you a thing but it might not actually work for you in your life yeah yeah and I, I've become far more just um blunt I probably am quite a blunt person (laughs) and my I'm gentle but I like to just say things if I think it's wrong and I've become more so with people when they'll ask me things I'll be like you know I think the most important thing you do now is you you, you've got to lose weight and I'd do fasting if I was you you know there's 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 different things you can do different ways of doing it but you need to that's your priority and people don't really like hearing that they like Oh, it's not my fault or you know there's another it's my thyroid gland that's playing up no <laughs> it's you've got to be quite forward and direct because I think too it's the number of times they hear it if they hear it four or five times if they hear it 30 times then they're gonna okay I'm not gonna ignore that anymore I'm actually gonna do something and change my life yeah so Sam I'm wondering if the public the general public are picking up on the uh, interests and motivations of the medical pharmaceutical industrial complex far faster and have been far more cynical about what's going on over the last few years than the professionals have been is that in line with what you're experiencing too like a thousand percent yes <laughs> I mean, just from my own experience with this so I started um just going back in time I I had this business like this online um, medical business that I started because I was frustrated with how hard it was for people to see doctors and get medical treatments. I mean, I can't even believe this is me, but that was quite a few years ago before it became normal to see people via Zoom and, you know, to do consults this way. I was doing that for two years prior to 2020. And um, anyway, the what I did in the interim was one of my good friends, actually, who's just passed away, uh, my best friend from high school, she told me... Um, you should do like YouTube videos and, and and make, you know, about the conditions that you're treating to try and drive business to your online work. And I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll try this. I'd not even thought about it. And I, I so I started this channel, YouTube channel, and it kind of became bigger in its own way in 2020. I, I didn't really push it. It just sort of happened. And um, that's obviously why I ended up into social media. But on the side of that, um, what drove it was people's questions because I realized that I thought I mean this is the arrogance I I thought oh this will be so easy I can make these YouTube videos about erectile dysfunction and whatever and I know everything I mean I'm not arrogant in that way but I I thought oh no I I can I can do stuff I'll know what to say and then people will write these comments and I'm like oh my gosh I don't I don't know about this and that's what happened and in 2020 is that people would write to me and go what's the evidence for using masks what's the evidence for social distancing and I felt really uncomfortable because I thought I don't know I don't I haven't looked into this I don't know and pushed me into questioning these things and then it's the audience 
the audience that pushes you and you realize how much they know and how much you don't know. Yes. And that's this real um, paradigm shift. And yes, people know so much and they all question doctors. And I think, um, or, you know, all allied, allied health professionals. Yeah. And I get, I get it a lot where people will write to me and go, who can I see? Who can be my GP? Will you be my GP? And I, I can't be, <laughs> but you know, I, I would say uh, my question next is why do you need a GP? And often people haven't even thought gone that far yet, but yeah, they'll question you. And I think that's the best thing ever because it makes you think about things and, and, and really get back to the, the bones of it and think, why, why am I doing this? Why, why, why do we do this? Is this, is this the right thing we should be doing? And, and I think the whole whole of health is confronted with this now. And I particularly, so what I enjoy doing is encouraging people to deregister from their GP and see, see someone who's a naturopath, see someone that's a physio, see someone that's not, um, you know, a dietitian that's not like heavily indoctrinated, find someone that you can trust and, um, you know, figure it out. And, and look into it yourself. Don't be a passive passenger with your health. This is like the most important thing in your life. This it's, it's everything, and you have to put your attention onto it. Like, and we've done that ourselves in so so many ways. For example, water. I, I'd not ever thought about where the water comes from, what's in it. I just assumed someone's taking care of it, you know. Um, and now, no, they're not taking care of it. They're wrecking our water. And you, you know, we got a reverse osmosis system. We're trying to get rid of nitrites out of the water. We're trying to get rid of fluoride and chlorine and, you know, what other, every other poison in there and thinking, how else can we optimize our health? And that's just, that's just one small area, but you keep experimenting with your own health and going, actually, this is cool. Like mm. I'm, I'm feeling great. I'm, I, I know I'm getting healthier by doing this. And so I think actually it's a really good thing that the, the lay public are questioning things. And that's why there's all this distrust now because people have seen, they've trusted particularly doctors, you know, for 20 years. And then they go in and they say, do you think I should get the vaccine? And then they fire, the doctor fires up and says, of course, what, you know, why wouldn't you? And then they're like, hmm. <laughs> but if they're not questioning this, what else have they told me that's completely wrong, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so the health industry is now being confronted by its own um, customers, its own clients, it's the people it's supposed to serve with the consequence of its actions over the last few years. Definitely. And do you know what's even funnier is like, so the Medical Council have been investigating me, the New Zealand like medical body that allows you to practice in New Zealand since 2020. And they've accused me of like, practicing um medicine by making videos they've told me that I'm practicing without a license when I <laughs> wasn't went on maternity leave with my son you know I'm not practicing anymore and I'm still making videos and the funniest thing ever is now they've said that I'm bringing the profession into disrepute um no you guys are <laughs> mm. I do this mm. it's, it's like the irony of <laughs> you have exposed yourselves and I, yeah. you don't need any help you've, you've done it all yourself 
And then, like we say, you have people, because you aren't doing a good job of it, that gives David and Dawn and Roman and Peter even more voice because it's like, hang on a minute, and they're free to say what they want because they haven't got a registration to restrict their voice. Exactly. And don't yeah, and worry that's... about what they're insured for or not insured for. It's either like my opinion or don't like my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's kind of scary. I had no idea being on the register what that meant because you know they come after you it's like they've got you on a leash and I thought well they can't stop me making YouTube videos and well they can stop you practicing Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know but it's um I I just I couldn't believe it I I thought we lived in a free country where you can say what you want and 2020 that we're not you know that's 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 a fiction and yeah but you're you're right like um I mean it makes me laugh that there are people that call themselves doctors. Well, you know, they're PhD doctors or they're a doctor in engineering and they're allowed to talk about COVID, but I'm not. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's yeah. just this clown world of, yeah, everything's yeah. backwards. And if you're, yeah. where, where again, the culture becomes really obvious, isn't it? Because that, that, that ex- exactly that exposes the cult. But is, is there any value? in modern or call it modern or allopathic medicine is there any value in it at all because you know come on what about the surgery that saved your life or the antibiotics or you know that's what I always get if I'm being very cynical like hang on a minute you've gone too far Kate yeah well yeah that's true and I think emergency um you know trauma um you know emergency surgery is definitely has a place and I think people uh medicine tries to conflate it and say that they're the same thing like prescribing simvastatin is the same as putting a bone back in you know that's got a compound fracture or something is that no they're completely different things and um I, I I just think I I think of it much more holistically now where probably 90 90 to 95 percent of medications you don't need them you know at all <laughs> and uh and I just I know myself from my son he's never seen a doctor never mm-hmm. I, I've never done anything with him it's all been diet and natural stuff like he was constipated and I use some olive oil as a suppository and you know like it's so basic and you think and okay we we optimize everything else but yeah I I don't want to throw out everything because I do believe there are definitely times. And I used to work, I loved emergency medicine. It was one of my favorite things I did actually. And um, when you can really see it help people, but um, I think most of it is is a complete waste of time. And um, <laughs> I, that's that's why I, I deregistered my whole family from GP and we've been registered. I've been registered ever since I was born, you know, um, but you realize so much of it it's not about health. As you know, this is a sick system. It's promoting vaccines for everything. And that's going to be the new, you know, that we're all ghost up on these things for everything, like whether it's treating psoriasis with vaccines or whatever, opiate addictions. And it's just, it's like literally like well, it's crazy. Just a eugenics <laughs> movement, then, isn't it? It's just completely a eugenic. Well, that's my view. It's just a eugenics movement. It's uh, yeah, totally. Scale. Um, Sam, you recently published a new book, Terrain Therapy. What have you discovered? We've talked all about what health isn't. What have you discovered? Good health is. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, well, I guess you, yeah, so that this is an interesting story, just as a bit of background about how it came about, because um, again, this is all the serendipity thing, which I realise is much more <laughs> in all of our lives, if you're looking at it, looking for it. Um, but I uh, I got sent by um, one of my, like, mem- like one of my audience viewers sent me four books um, quite a while ago. And one was this very thin book on this guy called Dr. Ulrich Williams, who was a New Zealand uh, obstetrician and gynecologist who basically found God and became a naturopath. And he had these um, rehab type clinics all over New Zealand. This is back in the 1930s and 40s, um, treating people that were basically untreatable, that had been discarded by the health system. And he'd cure lots of conditions. And um, so it was about him. And I realized it really oh, it spoke to me on this very deep level. I thought, oh, my gosh, his life is a lot like what I'm going through right now myself on a professional level and personally. And I thought, I've got to read more about what he's written. And he'd written this book in, 19, in the 1930s called Hints on Healthy Living. And I found this only copy in Wellington um, and from this rare bookshop and I got it and I said to my oh my gosh this book is amazing it's just it's got everything in it on it and so I said you know uh, can we like do a talk about Eric's life and in the comments people because I'd mentioned this book and these people said oh can you get it is there a PDF copy of it and I'm like don't think so it's this really old book and so then we decided let's just make it into this Let's republish it because, again, by chance, there's this 50-year law where if the if the person's been dead for 50 years, then you can you've got public rights to publish the book. And he'd been died in 1971, so it was just 50 years. And I just thought this is like him telling me to you know to yeah, do this. So I did it, you know, and I, I you feel kind of like this is a scam, but at the same time, it's really important information that I think people should know about. And um and I you know wrote a forward and just went through it and tried to modernize some of the bits that were but overall it was incredibly prescient and you realize he was so far ahead of his time he talked about polio um at that point and knew that it wasn't from a you know virus and um anyway so a lot of I, I really try and promote a lot of what he taught because I I believe it's true and so it's it's simple in a way it's basically right living diet right thinking and you essentially it's looking at everything in your life because all of us there's ways that we can improve and even I know that myself like we talked about with water um it's looking at your food where the food comes from you know how the animals have lived it's it's really paying attention to it also things about your thinking knowing that um I don't know if Mark talked about that story with you but the way we think, particularly with back pain, is a really interesting one because we see a lot of, well, I used to as well when I was a GP, see a lot of patients with back pain. And so much of what they carry, I think, is actually stress. It's their mental health. And it might not be, it's not overt necessarily. Like it could be the people admit to you that I'm really stressed in my job and I hate my job. And imagine you're carrying this with you every day like every day you go to work you hate it you're crossing off the the days on the calendar thinking I don't want to be there it can only 
create negative um, results in your body through cortisol levels. You know, the stress hormones are up. It, it, it's pro-inflammatory. It's damaging. Um, and eventually it will lead to more serious illness if you don't address that. Um, but also it can be what's going on at home. You know, people are unhappy in their relationships. You know, they live with someone that they hate, but they have to live with them. Uh, I, I don't know, this is, but it's the stuff that you don't really, you have to know someone really well to get any of this information out. As a practitioner, you're not, you know, going, are you in an unhappy relationship? <laughs> People won't tell you unless you have a good rapport with someone. And, um, you know, just again, it's all this right thinking of making things positive of knowing that you can be well um that was a big thing from terrain therapy is that it's it's you, you can't be a victim you've got to take responsibility for everything that happens in your life even with children you know when they get like upper respiratory tract infections um rashes I know it sounds harsh but there's something that's going on that you're not doing for them <laughs> they're either in a healing crisis they're trying to detox their bodies, but also you've got to think, well, are they a bit cold in their bed? You know, what what what's going on? Have have they been stressed? Am I taking them to daycare four times a week, you know, so I can work? And they're actually, they hate it there. They can't tell us that. We we tell ourselves that they love it and they're they're happy to be there and they're smiling when you come and pick them up. But are they? Mm-hmm. I mean, when we took our our eldest boy to we put him in um you know daycare when he was young and he developed blue ear and had to get grommets and everything but he was sick constantly and I I think actually a lot of the time that we get these symptoms it's because we're unhappy and we're stressed and the body's trying to detox trying to help us trying to flush these things out and we're thinking oh this is germs no they don't like it there <laughs> and um I mean that's just one reason but um other things I think it's just yeah trying really trying to get to the root cause of what's going on and I'm not saying everything's mental like uh, there are toxins I'm sure you know Kate like in our environment everywhere glyphosates I mean it's sort of the list is endless um amalgam fillings um fluoride in the water um you, you we're constantly exposed to real toxins as well that you have to be wary of and I think you can't minimize, you can't eliminate everything, but you try and minimize it. Um, medications, you know, most of them are chemicals in our bodies that our bodies are trying to get rid of. They don't, they're not selective. It's all this nonsense. It's, it's, we're washed in it. Antibiotics, paracetamol, you know, it affects the glutathione and the liver. There's just so many things that you have to look at and break it down. And I just try and do simple changes, simple experiments on myself and anyone, you can do that too and go, okay, I'm just going to change this one thing and see what happens. And I really encourage people to do that because it's it's so easy. And um, yeah, there's infinite things you can improve. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, visit www.marklandmethod.com forward slash grow. There you'll find access to the free Profit Without Pills program. 
You'll also have opportunity to register for the free web class, the triage call, and you'll be able to sign up for the weekly email newsletter where you get hints and tips on how to create a profitable and sustainable practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can get access to influential people and speakers and bring them here so that they can share their lessons with you.